Amen. All right, check this out. Can you imagine? How many of you guys got an imagination? Right? Turn to somebody and go, imagination. Right? So let's get it started. Imagine, imagine, right? If you were at a church prayer meeting and all of a sudden somebody runs in from the parking lot and they say, hey, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. And, and then you do. And while you listen, you discover that this mystery flu is sweeping all across the country, killing millions of people. And, and, and doctors are working around the clock. They're trying to find this antidote, but nothing is working. And then just when all hope seemed lost, the news comes out. The code has been broken. Praise God, a vaccine can be made, but it's going to take the blood of somebody who has not been infected yet. So everyone is asked to do one simple thing. Go to your local hospital, have your blood taken, and sure enough, you and your family, you go down with thousands of others, and you have your blood taken. And then, and then all of a sudden, a doctor, he comes running out of the hospital. He's screaming. He's waving this clipboard, right? He's yelling a name, and you can't believe your ears, okay? Uh, and then your son, he tugs at your jacket, and he says, Daddy, that's, that's me. And before you know it, they grabbed your boy while saying, It's okay. It's okay. Your son's blood is perfect. We can make the vaccine. And as the, the word begins to spread across the parking lot, thousands of people erupt in joy. And, but that's when the doctor comes over. He's no longer smiling like the rest. And he says, sir, we had no idea it would be a, a little child. We, we weren't prepared for this. I, I'm sorry, sir. We're going to need all of his blood. So you stammer and you hesitate. And the doctor, he continues. He says, listen, we're talking about the whole world here, sir. Please sign this consent form. We need it all. So in numb silence, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? And, and, and now, can you imagine? Can you imagine walking back to that room with your son on the table saying, Daddy, Mommy, what's going on? But before you can answer the doctor, he comes back in and says, I'm sorry. We've got to get started, sir. We've got to get started now. People all over the world are dying. Now, can you imagine having to leave? Can you imagine walking out and your son is there going, Daddy, why are you leaving me? Why are you forsaking me? And then can you imagine the very next week when it's all over, when they're, they're having a ceremony to honor your son's life, that, that some people actually sleep through it? Uh, some don't even become because, hey, I, I want to go to the lake. And then some folks, they do come, but they just put on that phony smile, just pretending to care. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, wouldn't you want to jump up and down if you were the parents and say, hey, listen, my son died for you. Don't you even care? Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the callousness of those people after what those parents gave up to save them and literally the whole world? Can you imagine how horrible that would actually be? Well, folks, how much more horrible is it when our world is doing the very same thing on Resurrection Sunday? I mean, think about it, folks. I mean, didn't God give us the life of his son, Jesus Christ? Didn't Jesus shed his blood to save our whole world from sin? Didn't he rise again from the grave to rescue us from eternal damnation and hell? And yet, what's our world turned this thing into? We don't even celebrate Resurrection Day anymore, right? I mean, we don't even call it Resurrection Day. It's Easter. What's that? I mean, and think about it. We don't celebrate the fact that God gave us his one and only son to set us free. Praise God. We get all excited over a rabbit, a mythical rabbit that hops around delivering candy to kids. What is that? I mean, you might as well show up for church services in these kind of outfits, right? Yes, for those of you visiting, those are two of our star interns. Their names are Ryan and JJ. And the rule is this. If you put it on Facebook, I'm going to use it, okay, is what's going on. There is no Photoshop there, whatever, right? But uh, yes, that was when Ryan was still single, Sarah. We'll give him that little out there. 
But you might as well come to church services dressed up as a banana and a power ranger. Are you serious? Whatever. But anyway, (laughs) right? Because that's what the world's turned it into. Has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's my whole point. I mean, did you know that God's not blind? Did you know he's omnipresent? He sees everything. I mean, sometimes I wonder, even not just the world, even the church. If God's not up in heaven saying the same thing, my son died for you, don't you even care? And it's not just ludicrous. I, I, hey, listen, I used to be that person 26 years ago before God saved me. I had no clue what Resurrection Sunday was all about. I didn't even really know much about Easter, right? Even the world's version, right? I was just a creature. Through, I get that. But folks, I'm talking about Christians. Christians, what are we doing And it's not just ludicrous in light of what God has done for us. Amen. Right. But folks, dare I say, we are getting robbed of the, frankly, the annual reminder of all the blessings that come from celebrating resurrection day. So let's do it right. Amen. Right. And we're going to take a look at the many and the key word there is many. Okay. Many blessings that come from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And dare I say, if you really get this and you should as a Christian, you are going to leave here totally jazzed, excited, just like the apostle Paul was apparently open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. That's our opening text, Ephesians chapter one. And uh, we're going to see Paul is going to break down all the incredible things that we are blessed with, literally in the heavenly realms he talks about, all because of the death, the burial, and praise God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he starts it off right, man. He is totally excited. You can almost just hear it screaming out of the text, right? And so should we. But let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word, right? But the section here, the spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, what's the first thing out of Paul's mouth here? Praise be to God, right? And you can just hear him, right? He's excited, right? He's like, okay, now let's turn to uh, Ephesians and, and read this. Ver- Are you kidding me? Praise be to God. In fact, turn to somebody and say, praise be to God, right? Why? Because what's he say? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's what? He has what? Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why? Because he chose us in him before the creation of the world. To what? To be holy and what's the word there? Blameless in his sight. In fact, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Can you believe that? Through Jesus Christ. Then he keeps going. He says, and it was done in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In fact, in him we have redemption. That word means to be bought back. Bought back out of the slave market. Right? So in him, Jesus, we have been bought back. We have been redeemed through his blood. We have what? The forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he, what's the word there? lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his what his good pleasure he wanted to do this for us which he purposed in christ now you may be seated if you can okay but what we're seeing here is paul is absolutely this is what i get from the text he is jazzed man he is excited he is lit up and you can hear it in the text there over what over the many 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 blessings that we have received as god's children even being made into god's children all because of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ now he breaks it down for us before he even gets started though it's almost like he gives it away before he gets going. What's he do? He says, praise be to God. I can't wait to tell you what's going on here. I can't wait to tell you what Jesus has done for us. Praise be to God. He says, first of all, our spiritual blessings are where? In the heavenly realms. 
Do you know what that means? That means no one can take them away. They are completely secure. It's also settled before the creation of the world. What's that mean? God put this plan into motion from the very beginning. Nobody can stop this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and our redemption, right? And then he starts to break down the blessings that God would listen, make us what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Not just holy, but what? What's the word there? Blameless in his sight through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then on top of that, what's he going to do? Hey, I'm going to adopt you into my forever family. I'm going to make you my very own children. Isn't that wild? No wonder Paul goes, praise be to God. And he's still not done yet. He says that we have been redeemed. We have been bought out of the slave market of sin, destined straight to hell. We belong to Satan. And God says, no, guess what? I'm going to buy you right out of that and you become mine. And then he says, God did this because he loves us. Because he wanted to. He did these things. What did he say? Out of his good pleasure. Out of his rich, glorious grace. Meaning you can't earn it because we never could. It's a gift. It's free. No wonder Paul is so excited over the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No wonder he starts it off. I I can't even tell you the truth yet. I'm so excited. Praise be to God. Now that's the attitude we should have every single time when we're supposed to be celebrating resurrection day. Now, to, to drill it even more, Paul used a word there. He says, God didn't just give us these blessings. He used a word there. Okay, it's the word there, lavished. Right? Lavished. God, he, he lavished these blessings upon us, right? Okay? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Now, listen, that's the Greek word, parasuo. Let's say that. I actually asked you to say that, but you could, for those of you who are actually paying attention. Okay, but anyway, I digress. No, parasuo, you try. That's good, right? Listen to what this means. God didn't just give us these blessings that we just delineated right there. Listen, God did it. He lavished it upon us, which means in the Greek there, to totally overdo it, to give away way more than you could ever expect, a total massive superabundance, way more you can possibly ever imagine, a mind-blowing generous amount that you can't even contain. In fact, the idea is like a river that's overflowing its banks and it is just flooding everywhere. What? God's riches, his blessings, all because he wanted to through Jesus Christ. You can't even contain it. There's so much. No wonder, Paul says again, praise be to God. We have been blessed abundantly. One guy says this, on Calvary, Jesus demonstrated that God's love and grace is greater than all human sin. Amen? And no one and nothing is beyond the reach of his grace. How great is our father's love. And because of our father, he has so, and that's the word lavish, he has so abundantly overdone himself from those, us, me, who deserve absolutely nothing but hell. Hey, we should have the same attitude and we should lavish, we should overdo ourselves in thankfulness and in service to him. Amen. That should be our attitude, okay? So now let's, let's again, let's now start breaking it down. That's just kind of the theme. Paul's just so excited, right? But let's break down these many blessings that God has lavished upon us all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the first one is this, and I hope this one still gets you jazzed. It should every day. Hello. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what's happened? God has forgiven me of some of my sins. Wrong translation. Yeah, all my sins. All? Are you serious? Yeah, all means all. And this is just one text we see that wonderful truth in. First John 1, 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we what? We deceive ourselves as if God's blind. He knows. Right? Hello. Okay. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if you would just do that. Confess homilegeo means to say the same thing. Right? God already sees it. He knows it. He's just waiting for you to say the same thing that he already knows. You blew it. 
That's what confess means. If you would just do that, if you would just confess your sins, God is what? He is faithful and just and will, not maybe not might, he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from how much? All unrighteousness, okay? And again, this is just the first of many blessings that God has lavished upon us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, that meant there was obviously no sin in him, which then therefore meant death did not and could not hold on him, which means he could not stay in the grave. He lived the perfect life in our place. He died the perfect death for us on the cross to pay the price for God's justice to rescue us from God's wrath for our sins. And listen, so he doesn't just forgive us. He forgives us completely. Now, folks, think about that. That means all sins are gone. All past sins, all present sins, all however much time. And only God knows how much time we have left on earth. God has forgiven those too. Even the sins we don't even know about. God knows about them. He's forgiven them all. All my sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. To the point, the scripture says God has made you, and this is what Paul said, holy and blameless. And it's not the first time that Paul says this. Okay, watch this. Ephesians 1.4, this is where we started. For he, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and what? Blameless in his sight. Ephesians 5.27, Paul continues. And to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and what? Blameless. Paul says in Colossians 1.22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. In Jude 1.24. To him, God, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence. Listen, without fault. And I love this word, with great joy. Right? And you think, well, okay, yeah, that's, that's good joy. That's great joy. No, you don't understand. The Greek word there is oligaliosis. Now say that one five times fast. Right? Oligaliosis. And it literally means this. I couldn't believe it when I looked this up. It literally means to jump up and down, man, with complete uncontrollable joy. Right? It's like if, if the news were to announce later today, the government has banned for good for the health of the people all chicken products. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Woo! Now, again, for those of you visiting, talk to somebody later and you'll understand why that's such a great joy but no no that's what the word is it's not just oh hey yeah that's great that's fun that's nice i feel happy no this is pick your best day ever and multiply it by a billion you know that time when you literally weren't just smiling you were like that's what the greek is you're i can't even say no over what over this truth what truth? That God has made us holy and blameless. Blameless is the Greek word ah mamas, and it means ah, which means no or without. Okay, mamas means blemish or spot. So God has made us Christian, and no matter all we've done, he has made us literally without blemish morally. There is no fault that he sees. There's no flaw he sees us. There is no shame, no disgrace. God has made us holy and pure forever. Not just when we get to heaven, but here and now. That's how he sees us as blameless. Now, for those of you who are married, that's a great truth. You know what I'm saying? But that's what he's done. That's just the first thing, man. He's forgiven me all my sins to the point I'm considered spotless, blameless. It's amazing. One guy says, think of it. When the omniscient eye, God, looks upon us, he will not find anything that to his immaculate holiness can be so much as a pimple or a mole. Nothing. We are spotless and pure. And that radically changes how we approach God. Now we have great intimacy. 
as the Hebrew says, we have boldness now to approach the very throne of grace. Whereas in the Old Testament, man, are you kidding me? Not just anybody could go into the temple. And you certainly couldn't just anybody go in and approach the Holy of Holies. But man, only the high priest could go in himself, only him, after a sacrifice for his sin and the sins of the people. And even then, they were scared that God might strike him down and die. But Hebrews says, not anymore. The veil has been torn through the resurrection of Christ. And now we have direct access to God. Because we're blameless in his sight. One guy, he puts it this way. He says, listen, I've always had this fear of going to heaven. He says, going to heaven? What are you talking about? He said, well, I had this feeling that they were going to pull down this big giant movie screen over here, right? And they would place a videotape of all the sins that I ever committed. And my mother would be there. He says, now, I don't know if they got a tape recording all your sins. I don't know if they got a tape recording all my sins. Well, actually, God knows it all. He says, but I've got good news for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has erased your tape. Oh, you ain't getting that. Jesus Christ has erased your tape. Right? It's gone. He says, in fact, so much so does he cleanse us from sin. He said, it's like a magnet. He attracts our sins as though they were iron filings. And he makes them, him, them his own on the cross. So that on the day, he will, listen, present us to the Father as faultless, without blemish, blameless. He said, I could just see it now. He says, Father, right? He's up in heaven. And, and Jesus is introducing me. And Jesus said, he's like, I could see it now. He just says, Father, I'd like you to meet my friend, the perfect one. He says, I hope my wife is there, right? <laughs> he says, but that's the truth, right? He will present me as faultless, without blemish, without spot. You say, where's the sin? God has obliterated them. They're gone. Your sins, the scripture said, is blotted out. It's buried into the deepest sea. Remember no more. And that thrills me. He says, because that means on that day, I'm going to walk before the Lord. And Jesus will be there as my holy advocate. All my sins are forgiven, forgotten, buried in the deepest sea. Remember no more. And with a record that is totally washed clean, with sins that are purged, the Father will embrace me. And I'll say, Abba, Father. And he says, that's love. Oh, that's love. No wonder Paul starts off going, praise be to God. He can't contain himself. Because that's what Resurrection Day is all about. That's what makes this so exciting. And that's just the first of many blessings that he lavished upon us. Right? The second one is, listen, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know why it's so mind-blowing? <laughs> oh, I hope this one hasn't gotten old for you. God has removed from us the penalty of my sins. He's not just forgiven my sins, but the penalty that I should have got, namely his wrath and hell. Praise God, he removed it. Amen. And this is what uh, uh, Paul talks about in this passage, Romans 2, verse 5 through 6. He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are what? You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. If you never turn to Jesus. But what's he say here? He says, here's the unfortunate news. If you don't want to turn from your sins and turn to God and receive his wonderful riches of his grace, his wonderful mercy to be completely, as we just saw, forgiven, spotless, holy, blameless of all your sins through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you don't want that, if you don't want to receive God's lavish blessings all upon you, or that you can't even contain it, then you'll get what you earned. You'll get what you've been storing up, whether you realize it, admit it or not, because it's still happening. You're going to get God's wrath. 
In fact, you won't just get some of God's wrath. The Bible says you will end up in a place called hell. And folks, hell is one place you don't ever want to be. Let's quickly remind ourselves what the Bible says that place is apart from receiving Christ as your Savior. Who on purpose would want to go here? Let's take a look at that. Contrary to the father of lies, though, God's word describes hell as a place where God pours out his wrath upon the wicked. God's word declares, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who rendered every man according to his deeds. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. God's word speaks of a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and of raging fire which consumes the enemies of God. Severe punishment, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Will hell be a good time? Contrary to the father of lies, hell will not be a place of friendship and rock music, but of misery and darkness and isolation. The only thing you will hear from others are their cries of torment. Jesus Christ warned the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible speaks of the wicked for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Contrary to Sting's video, God's word declares that there is no rest for the wicked in hell. The book of Revelation states, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Jesus said of the day of judgment, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God's word says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. in the world would anyone not just reject but why would you hesitate to be completely rescued from that place from that horrible fate but yet this is no wonder again Paul says what <laughs> praise be to God because of the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ the cross of Christ has what rescued yes he's forgiven me of my sin all of them I'm spotless and blameless but at the same time that that's true he rescued me from hell that I myself included fully deserve but he rescued me from that place all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ he has lavished upon us the richness of his grace and rescued us from the penalty of our sins. Oh, but we're just getting started. The third blessing is this. He's not only that, he's even forgotten my sins. Now this is wild. I mean, God's omnipresent. But he says, you know what? I'm going to forget your sins on top of everything else. 
And this is the second half of what's going on in this verse, right? We focus on the fact that he forgives us of all unrighteousness, amen? But let's focus on this other word here. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, right? God already knows. He is what? Faithful and just and will what? Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now this time, let's focus on the word there, forgive. It's wild. It's a theme in Greek. And it means, listen to this, to send away, to disregard, to abandon, to give up, to leave behind, to let go. Listen, to no longer even discuss. So do you understand what it means when we are asking God to forgive us of our sins? It's not just God, would you please forgive them and, and, and make me spotless, make them go away, all of them. That's cool enough. It's not just God, would you please rescue me from the penalty of my sin, namely hell, what I soul deserve. But God, would you, would you just not even bring it up anymore? That's really what the word means. Now, you wonder why the word gospel, euangelion in the Greek means good news? Because when we ask God to not just forgive us of our sins and rescue us from the penalty of sins, but hey God, would you please forget him too? He will. <laughs> and he does. And no wonder it's called the good news. And this blows away not just the Old Testament writers, but the New Testament writers as well. As well. Watch this, Micah 7, 18 through 19. Again, you can hear him just like, he's like, he's like blown away like Paul. Right? He says, who is a God like you? Who does this? Who what? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression. You will again, aren't you glad for that word? Again. (laughs) You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And the writer of Hebrews 8, 12 says, For I, God speaking, I will, not maybe not might, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins. What? No more. God said he would do that. Which means he's not going to bring it up again. When we, I'll say it again. When we ask him to forgive us, God, would you please send that away? Would you disregard that sin? Uh, would you abandon that? Would you give it up? Would you leave it behind? God, would you let it, God, would you no longer even discuss that sin? And he says, yep, sure thing. I'll add that to the riches of the grace that I'm lavishing upon you. See, the problem though is we listen to the accuser of sin instead of God who has completely forgiven and forgotten our sin. It's like this story. We've shared this before. There was this little boy. He was visiting his grandparents, and he was given his very first slingshot. And, uh, of course, you know, he's a little kid. He, he's out there practicing in the woods, but he can't ever even hit his target, right? And so he comes back around to his grandma's backyard out of the woods there, and he, and he spies her pet duck. And so on impulse, you know, he takes aim and he lets it fly. This time he hit his target, and the duck died. Yeah. So the little boy, he panicked and he desperately tried to hide the dead duck in the woodpile, right? Only to see his sister watching the whole thing, Sally, right? She, see, she saw it all, but she didn't say anything at that point. And then after lunch that day, grandma said, Sally, hey, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, oh, grandma, grandma, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispers to him, remember the duck. <laughs> so Johnny did the dishes. So later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. But Grandpa said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need Sally to help make supper. So Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of, Grandma. Johnny wants to do it. And again, she says, remember the duck. So Johnny stayed and Sally went fishing. Then after several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's chores, he couldn't take it any longer. So he confessed. He confessed to his grandma that he killed the duck. And listen to what she said. She says, I know, Johnny. I know. 
And she gave him a hug and she said, I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. And I, listen, I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. How many times do we do that as Christians? We believe the accuser of sin when God in whom we sinned against, who sees it all, says, what sin? I've forgiven you of that completely. I, I've, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And you know what? I'm not even going to remember it anymore. Come here and give me a hug. That's our father. That's what happened at the cross of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus. No wonder Paul's going, <laughs> praise be to God. That God would forgive all my sins. He would free, set me free from the penalty of my sins. And now he's not even going to bring them up. This is amazing, but it still gets even better as you go. The fourth one is God has even on top of that, now he even says, I'm going to obliterate your sin. Obliterate your sin. That's literally what the word means. All right, let's take a look at this. Isaiah, right? Isaiah 43, 25. It's God speaking, of course. He says, I, even I, am he who, what's the word there? Blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Not for you, as if you earned it because nobody can. Right? And I what? Remember your sins no more. Well, of course, he doesn't remember it anymore in his divine economy, so to speak. Okay, because what did he do to him? He says, I blotted him out. Now, you and I don't get that, but it's the Hebrew word makah. Okay, and that's not, you know, some secret, you know, agent signal when you're saying, hey, Bob, how do I know it's my turn? I'm going to make that noise. Makah, makah. No, that's not what it is. I know it's what you're thinking, Jim. But listen, the Hebrew word there, makah, to blot out, this is cool. It means to utterly wipe out. Utterly, not just wipe out, not just, you know, smear it around a little bit. To utterly wipe out, to destroy, to eliminate, to blot out, to become invisible. Listen, to not just disappear, but to obliterate and exterminate. Now you're sounding like Doctor Who. Okay, right, for those of you hooked on him. But anyway, so, but this is why Paul says, listen, so God has completely obliterated my sins. That means I don't need to be a slave of my past. And so therefore, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obliterate my past. Because God did. This is actually what Paul says here. This is mind-blowing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. But Paul says, but one thing I do, one thing we should do, Christian, what do you do? Forget what is behind. How many times, again, do we listen to the accuser of sin? Remember what you did last week? Remember what you did last night? Remember what you did on the way to services today? Yeah, Larry, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> Just confess it, brother. Anyway. <laughs> when you confess your sins, what do you do? He says, I forget it. God forget it. Why am I bringing it up? And he says, what, what's my focus now? I forget it. I forget the past. And what do I do? I'm just straining towards what is ahead. My destiny in Christ, my future in Christ. The Greek word they're forgetting is epilanthotomai, and it means to forget, to no longer care for. Listen to what it means. It means to give over to, here it is, oblivion. It's the same thing as blot out. And it makes sense. No wonder Paul says, I'm going to give all my past, all the things that I did wrong. I'm going to give it all up over, and you know what? I'm just going to, boom, obliterate it. I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm not going to let nobody bring it up. I'm not going to let the accuser bring it up because it's obliterated. And if it's obliterated, that means it's gone. And that's what God says he will do. It's not just that God obliterates our sins, but because he obliterates it, we can too, which means we don't have to listen to the accuser. We're set free from that. It's wild. 
But the accuser comes every day, does he not? But you need to get into this routine like Paul did. When he does and he tries to remind you of your past, you point him to the father. And the father says, excuse me, what sin are you talking about? It's been forgiven, forgotten, obliterated. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like this song says. Let's take a look at this.
gone the very moment you confessed buried in the sea of forgetfulness that's just not a nice song that's scriptural truth that's one of the many blessings of resurrection day we still got a couple more to go the fifth one no wonder paul says praise be to god this just keeps getting better on top of that god has set me free from the power of sin turn to somebody say you are no longer a slave to sin Did you know that? And that's exactly what God says repeatedly in the scripture that also comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 17, 18, and 22. But it's Paul again. What's he say? You can hear it. But thanks be to God. You can hear him, man. Why? Because that though you used to, key word, you used to be slaves to sin, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And because of that, the benefits you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Okay. And this is true because the scripture uses the word that we saw Paul use in Ephesians one. It's redeemed. The word redeemed means to be bought out of not just the world, not just the market, but bought out of the slave market of this world. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free. Christ has bought you out of that. And Paul says that also in a multitude of other places. First Corinthians six twenty, he says, Christian, you were bought at a what? Price, therefore honor God with your body. Well, what was the price? Peter says this, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, Paul says you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of who? Of men. Galatians 5, 1 is for what? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free so stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery in other words Christ's work on the cross not only set me free from sin it set me free from the in the penalty of sin but it set me free from the power of sin in other words listen at the moment you get saved the scripture says that we are indwelt with the holy spirit of god he is inside you now as a christian who is not just your deposit your guarantee that you're going to get to heaven i'll get to that in a second but he is there he says if you would just walk and live and keep in step with the spirit of god you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh and that means you don't have there's not one sin on this planet that you have to commit christian Christ has set you free. You are no longer a slave for sin. Now you have the ability to truly serve God and reap the benefits of that because all of his commands are good and for our good, all righteousness. It's exactly like what this guy, True Story, did in the 1800s for this slave girl. Now the audio is a little bit scratchy, so pay attention, okay? But this is amazing. True Story, by the way, watch this. Years ago, an Englishman had gone out to California, made his fortune in the gold fields. 
and wanted to go back and live with his own people. So he sent his money by check around back to England, and he came overland on the Santa Fe Trail to Kansas City and down to Missouri, and then the Mississippi and ended up in New Orleans, where he was going to take ship to New York and from there to England. And as a tourist in New Orleans, he did as most tourists do. He went down to the slave market only then, in the early 1850s. There were still slaves being sold. And as he went into the market, he saw a lot of men gathered there, and one party was put on, and he heard the men as they were speaking about her. He saw two evil-looking men bidding for her quite heatedly. And then he heard them say what they would do with her. And his heart just revolted against the whole swinish thing. And finally, when they were bidding, and the biddings were getting, prices were getting very high and smaller, he just couldn't stand it. And so he beckoned to the auctioneer and he said, a figure which was exactly twice the last bid, utterly beyond anything that had ever been paid for a slave in that market before. He said, have you got the money? And he came up and he said, yeah, you got the money. And so the bill of sale was made out. He went over to the block to take the woman that he'd purchased. And as she came down one step and stood just about level with his eyes, she had made a mouth full of spittle, and she spat right full in his face and hissed through her clenched teeth, I hate you. He said nothing, with the back of his hand he wiped the spittle away, took her by the hand, walked down the street across this intersection, through the mud down that street, till he came to a little office building. She couldn't read, didn't know what it was. He went to the desk, began to speak, the man behind the desk began to protest, he said, I insist, it's the law, I insist. And finally he came back, paid some money and got a paper. He walked over to the woman that was like a beast ready to spring on him. He handed the paper out and said, Here, here are your manumission papers. You're free. She still hissed, I hate you. I said, Didn't you understand? I said, Here are your manumission papers. You are free. She said, I know. I said, no, you paid twice as much for me as they've ever paid for anybody on that block. And you're giving me the... I don't believe it. He said, yes. These are your manumission papers. And he put them in her hand. And she said, stop, mister. Yes. Do you mean to say that you bought me to set me free? He said, yes. That's why I bought you. To set you free. Tears came up into eyes that hadn't known tears for a long time. They just spilled over. Her face softened. And then she slipped down on her hands and knees. And she reached down and put her hands around those rough miner's boots. And then laid her cheek down on the toe of one of them. And through her tears she sobbed, Oh, you bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free. You paid more than has ever been paid before just to set me free. And then through her tears she looked up and said, Oh, sir. All I want in life is to be your slave. You bought me to set me free. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ bought you to set you free. And when you understand that, then it's the joy of your life to come and stand against the door of grace and let him bore through the ear of your heart that you can be a born slave forever. He bought you.
to set you free, not only from hell, but from the world and the flesh and the devil. He bought you to set you free. All come to him, kiss his nail pierced feet, and take from his hand that great salvation that he purchased with his blood. And remember, he bought you to set you free. Do we understand what God has done for us? He paid an exorbitant price, just like that miner. Much more than what we deserve, the actual blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to set us free. Now, we usually get the first part of that. Yeah, he set me free from the penalty of sin. He set me free from hell. Woo-hoo! Yeah, and that's exciting. But what Paul was saying is there's something else, Christian, you got to get through your head. He has come to set you free from being a slave to sin. Christ has come to set you free because the world will try to put you in a box. I went through this when I got saved. Oh, once a sinner, always a sinner. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Oh, once an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Once an addict, you're always, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Christ has come to set me free. I am no longer a slave to sin. That's my manumission papers. There is not one sin on this planet I have to commit. I am free from that tyranny. Christ is in me now by his spirit. And all I have to do is say no to sin and yes to him. And every time I have victory, before I even get to heaven. Now that's mind-blowing. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Speaking of which, the sixth blessing is God on top of that. Listen to this. He secured for me a place free from sin. That one day, that's just all this musty, yucky junk that we got to deal with down here. One day, it's going to be over. And we're going to be in a place without sin, right? It rhymes with heaven, in case you're wondering, right? Okay, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard this loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Listen, he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's not going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order things has passed away as if what we've seen isn't cool enough christ has not only forgiven us of our sins all of our sins releases from the penalty of our sins he's forgotten our sins he's obliterated our sins now we're set free from the power of sin even on earth but the bible says that one day you're going to leave this earth and you're going to a place that's completely free from sin forever We get a new future, a new place without sin. It's called heaven. It's not pie in the sky. It's not opium for the masses. It's real and it's really coming. The Bible says that heaven is a holy place. What's holy? Holy means there's no sin. So heaven is a place with no sin. Of course, because God is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And that means no more of these struggles, no more temptations, no more fear. None of that junk is gone forevermore. On top of everything else. The Bible says that heaven is a holy place. It's the actual dwelling place of God and his holy angels. It's a heavenly country. It's a place of eternal rest. Eternal happiness is called paradise. And it's a place where sorrows cease to be. And it's not just, listen, we get to be in a place that's uh, without sin. We get new bodies. And those bodies don't have the sin nature. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the famous resurrection passage that comes as a result of the resurrection of Christ. He says for in 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 55 and 57, for the perishable must, 
It's an imperative. It has to. It's going to happen. Clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Listen, death, you can hear Paul get excited again. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. But what? Thanks be to God, he says it again, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, listen, folks, we're not just going to heaven, a place without sin. One day we get new bodies without sin, which means they're going to be imperishable. They're going to be immortal. They're not going to be like these messed up ones here. Now, for you young whippersnappers, you're not appreciating that yet. <laughs> so let me break it down for you. We've seen this before, folks, right? This means, listen, there's, there's not going to be any more death with these bodies. Yeah, amen. One person's excited about that. Uh, me personally, I'm going to try to make it the last thing I do, but let's just move on. You can save that for later at lunch and pull it out and have a little laughter. All right, but anyway, uh, they're, they're never going to, what? Well, they're, they're, they're imperishable. These new bodies, there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Right? You know why they call it the golden years? It's because you guys spend all your gold to the hospitals and doctors and all the medicines. Whatever. But anyway, uh, they, our heavenly bodies, they'll never die. They won't rot. They won't decay. They won't break down. They won't even age. Is that incredible? That means there's not going to be any more backaches, no more broken bones, no more disease, no more anti-aging creams, ladies. There's not going to be any more wrinkles or crinkles or age spots. All that stuff's gone. In fact, we will never have these kind of conversations with our friends again. Watch this. This uh, one day, this a group of Florida senior citizens, right? They're sitting around. They're talking about all the problems with their bodies, all the ailments, right? And this one elderly person says, my arms are so weak. I, I can hardly even hold this cup of coffee. And the other one replied, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. My cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my coffee. And then the person with the loudest voice piped in, oh, yeah, well, well it's gotten where I can't hear anymore. And then the fourth person nodded weakly in agreement and says, I, I, I know what you mean, man. I, I, I can't even turn my head with all this arthritis in my neck. And the other person said, well, that's nothing. My, my blood pressure pills that make me dizzy all the time. Another person said, well, you think that's bad. I, I can't even remember what I'm doing half the time. If, if I don't make myself a note, I forget what I'm doing in the first place. And then, then an old wise person in the group uh, winced. He says, yeah, he says, I guess that's the price we pay for getting old. But then there was this short moment of silence. And, and one woman in the group, she cheerfully announced. She says, well, it's not all that bad. Thank goodness we can all still drive. <laughs> yeah, turn to somebody and say, get off the road. <laughs> But it's going to have, we're not going to have those conversations anymore, right? right? And the older you get, the more you appreciate that. Our bodies are going to be imperishable. We've seen this before. That means, listen, no more. You're going to wake up at the breakfast table and go there and hear snap, crackle, and pop and realize uh, you're not eating cereal. That's you making that noise. Uh, no more are you going to go to bed realizing that you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. Uh, you're not going to wake up looking like your driver's license picture anymore. Uh, you're not going to look around for your glasses for half an hour realizing they've been on your head the whole time. Right? You won't need glasses. You won't have memory problems, okay? Uh, but the key word there says, God has secured this place for me. The key word is they're secure. And the Bible says, listen, it is so secure. God has guaranteed that when you become his child, when you receive the blessings of the resurrection, you are guaranteed to get to heaven. 
Now that's exciting. Let me just give you a couple scriptures about that. Uh, John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John 10, 20, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Romans 8, 35, 38 through 39, who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 8, he, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 21, 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He's anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. What? Guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1 14, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and the purchase of his own people. That's just one more reason to praise our glorious God. Amen. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work and you will carry to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Listen, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore he, God, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9, 12, Jesus, he did not enter by the means of blood and goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. First Peter 1, 3 through 4, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Listen, to an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for you. First Peter 1, 8 through 9, though you haven't seen him, you love him, amen? And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. In our field, there's your word again, inexpressible, glorious joy. Woo! Why? Because you are, not maybe not my, you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And First John 5, 3, 3, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, that you are going to get to heaven, a place beyond your wildest dreams where there is no more sin, no more sin nature, and so shall it be forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, amen. And once again, the enemy comes in, even though the Bible's very clear about this. He says, oh yeah, but look what you did. Listen, myself included, even after being saved, we may stray from God. We may try to get away from God, so to speak. But the Bible says God will never let go of you. It's like what this mom did some years ago. True story. On a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole back behind his house. And in a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door and he left behind his shoes and socks and shirt and he's just flying out there. He flew flying to the water there, uh, not realizing that as he swam towards the middle of the lake, an alligator, true story, was swimming towards the shore. His mother in the house was looking out the window and she saw the two as they got closer and closer together. In fact, in utter fear, she ran towards the water. She's yelling at her son as loudly as she can. He, hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed. He makes a U-turn to swim back to his mom, but he was a little bit too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached him. And from the dock there, the mother grabbed the boy's little arms just as the alligator grabbed his legs. And then an incredible true story, tug of war, began between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was too passionate to let go. And a farmer just happened to be driving by. He heard the screams. He raced from his truck. He took aim and he shot the alligator. 
And remarkably, after weeks in the hospital, the little boy, he survived. His legs, obviously, though, were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the alligator. And on his arms were these deep scratches uh, from his mom's fingernails that were digging into his flesh in an effort to save her son that she loved. And I kid you not, the newspaper reporter interviewed the boy after the trauma and asked him if he would show him the scars. And the little boy lifted up his pant legs and he showed him. But then, listen, with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. I've got great scars in my arms too. I got them because my mama wouldn't let me go. And he says, friend, you and I can identify with that little boy. We got scars too. Not from an alligator, but from the scars of a painful past. And some of those scars are unsightly. And they've caused this deep, deep regret. But some wounds, my friend, are because God has refused to let you go. In the midst of your struggle, he's been there holding on to you the whole time. The scripture teaches that God loves you. If you've got Christ in your life, you become a child of God. He wants to protect you and provide for you in every way. But sometimes we foolishly wade into this dangerous world. Into the swimming hole of this life, into peril. And we forget that the enemy is there waiting to attack. And then the tug of war begins. And he says this, if you've got the scars of God's love on your arms, Christian, be very, very, very grateful that he did not, he will not, and he never will let you go. This is what Resurrection Day is all about. We're going to get there no matter what. One more to go real quick. The seventh blessing about Resurrection Day, this still blows me away. I hope it does you. Is God has enabled me to begin again. Because he's made me into a new person, a new creature, a new creation in Christ. This is this wonderful truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone, how many? Anyone, what's that imply? No matter what you've done, no matter what your pedigree, good, bad, or ugly, no matter what has gone on in your past, no matter what your life looks like, good, bad, or ugly, no matter what label people want to put on you, if you're in Christ, what? You're a new creation. New creation, man. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from who? God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he doesn't just save us, but he gives us a ministry. And that ministry is a privileged opportunity to let others know they can have the same thing that we have in Christ, i.e. we've been reconciled, which means to be brought back together again in love and friendship. Okay, and now that's cool, okay, that God could use us in spite of us. Okay, but again, what does he say? He says, when you get saved, I give you a new identity, You're a new creation. The old's gone. Don't even go there. Don't refer to yourself like that. In fact, we talked about the word sinner. We make this mistake all the time as Christians. Well, I'm just a sinner. Say, no, you're not a sinner. God says you're a saint. You're a hagios. You're a holy one. You're spotless. You're blameless. That's our identity in Christ. In fact, when you look at the scripture, when we get saved, there's all kinds of new ways that we are considered a new creation in Christ. One person said this because of the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, Christian, this is what happens at the moment you get saved. I'm his beloved. I'm his child. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am blameless. I'm spotless. I'm without blemish. I'm considered a beautiful bride. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms. I'm born again. I belong to God. I cannot be separated. He calls me a saint. I'm a citizen of heaven. I cannot lose my salvation. I'm complete in Christ and I cannot be condemned. I'm dearly loved. I'm delivered. I have direct access to the throne of grace. I'm dead to sin. I'm healed from sin. I'm free from sin. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm a friend of Jesus. I've been forgiven of Jesus. I'm established, anointed. I'm sealed by God. I'm free from my past. I'm kept by God's power. I'm prayed for by Christ and I'm not going to hell. Why? Because 26 years ago, by the grace of God, I myself dropped on my knees, surrendered to Christ, and he made me new. 
And at that moment, in that apartment complex, on the corner of Auburn and Greenback, in Citrus Heights, California, God took an ex-headbanger, drug addict, sexual moral, male shamus pig guy involved in the occult, and he said, watch this. He's new. And he does that to anybody and everybody. That God would forgive us of all of our sins, set us free from the penalty of our sins, forget us all of our sins, obliterate our sins, secure us a place that's free from sin forever and ever. But then he lets us begin again, truly as a new creation, a blank piece of paper, ready to start all over again, this time doing it right with God like this girl learned. We'll close in prayer after this. I was seven when I turned on the TV and saw Mariah Carey performing live in front of a crowd of 30,000. And right at the end of her performance, the entire audience erupted into thunderous applause. I was transfixed. At the age of seven, watching that, I thought to myself, how can one person gain so much adoration? I wanted it too. I remember standing on the sofa that was near the window, like it was my stage, and I looked into the sky and declared that I want to be a superstar. So I did what it took. I stepped into the entertainment industry at a young age. But instead of living the dream, the one common thing that I kept hearing people from the industry say about me was that I'm a blank piece of paper. Someone with no personality. I was very sad about it. I didn't know how to take it. But if I'm being honest, I want it to matter to people. But in this world, if you're not loud enough, you won't gain attention. And I'm just someone that's quiet, like a cat. So as I grew up, I constantly felt the tension between who I was, who others wanted me to be, and who I felt I needed to be. And in the midst of all this struggle, I completely lost myself. I just didn't know who I was anymore. It was when I came to the end of myself that I decided to turn to God for answers. He said to me, you don't have to be somebody else that you're not in order to be liked. Begin from a place of honesty. Don't try to be extra nice to people. Don't try to keep up with appearances. But there was one area in my life that I refused to talk to God about. And that is why people in industry kept calling me a blank piece of paper. Nine years ago, I was called a blank piece of paper. Nine years later, I was still called a blank piece of paper. Why? Why am I a blank piece of paper? I don't understand, and I'm trying very hard. But why am I still a blank piece of paper? I felt very hopeless and in desperate need of hope. One afternoon, I poured out my heart to Papa God. And to my surprise, he also said that I'm a blank piece of paper. But he said this to me, your pages may be empty, but they are white as snow. You begin with me. I am the author of your life. And I will write out your pages. And for the first time, I recognized that being a blank piece of paper doesn't have to be a bad thing. A blank piece of paper, it's white, it's clean, and that means I can truly begin again. And I don't have to care so much about what others think about me. 
let God define who I am. When I look back now, I know my identity crisis happened because I did not put my trust in God. I counted a man to make me a success, and I thought I had lost all hope and even wanted to leave the industry. But I found hope in God. I can truly begin again, and this time with Him. I can truly begin again. How many times do you hear people say that? I wish I could start all over. But I've done too much. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Jesus Christ, you can, you can begin again. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can begin again. Brand spanking new. The old is gone. That person you used to be, that ain't you anymore. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. God has taken your life at that moment. You cried out to Jesus and bang! Through the blood, it's white as snow. You're starting fresh. And like she said, that means, guess what? Now there's hope. Because now in Christ, he'll begin to write a new chapter, a new life. And you find that God only writes masterpieces. All this because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No wonder he started out going, whoa-wee, cool translation. Praise be to God that he has not just forgiven my sins. He has set me free from the penalty of sins. He's forgotten my sins. He's obliterated my sins, secured a place for me, free from sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin, and I can finally begin again, no matter what I've done. I don't know about you, but I'll take that any day of the week. Over a fuzzy bunny rabbit. <laughs> Dunkin' eggs. We're getting robbed, church. Let's get back on track and celebrate Resurrection Day and receive the many blessings that what? God lavished upon us in Christ. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, You shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. 
The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. 
Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.